Hello, everybody, and welcome to Speak Out, the Outright Podcast. I'm your host, JQ. You can use any pronouns for me. I'm Emma. I use they, she, he pronouns. I'm Eva. I use they, she pronouns. I'm Emily, and I use she, her pronouns. And today, in honor of our secondary Halloween, we are talking about the queer costume, all things related to costuming, hiding your true self behind a mask, and <laughs> Expressing spooky. yourself through a mask. Yeah. <laughs> And spooky. And spooky. Also that part. I want you to do your bit about Butchers in America in the 50s. Oh. Because I had so much fun reading it. (gasps) No, it was such (laughs) a fun article. Like, I literally did it for a research project, like, for um, one of my communications classes. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to, this is going to catapult me into my butch era. Um, But, like, okay, (laughs) I'll just, like, go then. Um, So it was, like, an essay, it's, like, an article or, like, essay about, like, Butchers in America in the 50s. And it was, like, super interesting because it focused on what they called queer legibility, uh, which is, like, being recognized, oh, sorry, as queer by other queer people but not by straight people. So, like, the the dichotomy of, like, simultaneously concealing and revealing your identity to different groups. Um, plausible deniability. Yeah, exactly, that part. You put that in your notes. I did. Um, so, like, obviously, like, the style was different back then. It was, like, super, like, still, I mean, still is, but, like, even more so. Uh, like, gender, clothing was gender-coded, like, slacks were only recently acceptable as workwear, and, like, women were still very, like, there was still very much, like, femininity coded into everything that, like, women were expected to wear, like, you know, that's where the whole, like, buttons have to be on this side, your sleeves have to be be like this, your shirt has to be tailored in a certain way, um, even if you're, like, wearing, like, an Oxford shirt or, like, slacks, um, so what, butches end up ended up doing was wearing women's fashion still but wearing it differently uh as opposed to like fully wearing men's fashions which obviously some butches did do but obviously that would also make them like the target of like homophobic violence and stuff um so like there was kind of like a compromise or like a way of like coding women's fashion so that it fitted their like expression and that it um transmitted queerness to other queer people so they would wear like I don't know it was like different in different communities like there was one anecdote in here about like how with this one high school uh the butches would wear like longer skirts and the femmes would wear like shorter skirts and knee-high socks and that was like how they identified each other to like such a strong extent that like they talked it like in the essay they talked about how this one girl was like having trouble with like being recognized as queer by the other queer people in her school and then one day she comes to school in, like, this coated dress, like, long skirt and, I think, like, Oxford shirt. And all the lesbians were like, oh, my God, no way. I had no idea you were gay. <laughs> and then she was just, like, in and she didn't have to do yeah. anything else. And that's, like, connected to the fact that, like, also in that time, like, some, like, in addition to Bushness being, like, kind of differently expressed, because like, in order to avoid, like, violence, um, it was also, like often required as, like, an entry into queer spaces because, like, when you entered a queer space, it was still criminal. So you, like, by allowing you access, they were, like, trusting you with all the lives of the people in there. So, like, butchness ended up being a way that they knew that you could be trusted or, like, already knowing somebody who would go to that queer space, like a club, usually. Um, so this, so then, like, within queer spaces, it would kind of be a flip-flop, like, Rather than having to be, like, how, like, in regular, like, outside world, you'd have to, like, code the way, code dressing butch into feminine clothing 
femmes would code femininity into butch clothing. So, like, they would dress in a way that would look butch to outsiders to gain access, but then they would, but then it would be in a way that would be, like, undeniably read as femme to the queers inside the queer space. And, yeah, I just thought that was so very cool because it was just, like, the way that you're, like, simultaneously, like, transmitting your identity to some people, but then not everybody picks up on those signals. That part. Yeah. No, I feel like one of the things that I find really interesting in that is that it assumes that everyone in the community has this, like, set of pre-existing knowledge, almost. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously I'm glad that the queer community doesn't have to all be, like, familiar to one another as a matter of, like, safety and because uh like (laughs) constant persecution that kind of thing but I also feel like it is really interesting to think about a community in which queerness is so tightly understood if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because like I wouldn't know the first thing about how to go about like coding femininity into dressing butch or vice versa I mean I dress how I dress now, but that's not really, like... I'm doing it a lot more for me than to indicate that I'm a member of a community. Mm-hmm. Although I suspect it probably... It's <laughs> looking <that> way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can't escape it. No, nah, it's okay. I'm not that invested in escaping it. Um, yeah, as you should. But, yeah, and I feel like it would almost be easier today, though, with the internet. With, like, queer communities on the internet... Um, but then again, like, does that mean that if it's on the internet, then like, you know, it starts to bleed into the mainstream and then those signals can be read by outsiders Mm -hmm. and like, that's useful for people who might be trying to join the community. But, you know, that can be in some cases dangerous because it's not always safe everywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like. What, what do you yeah, think about okay. that? No, very much so. It's like, it very much like, um, okay, well, it was my article in the culture uh, print from, what, last winter? Last spring? When was that? Um, well, anyways, uh, which was about, like, it was called, like, creation and recreation, and, like, this is, like, the very cute little graphic that was there. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, but, like, that was something that I ended up, like, writing about was uh, queer culture, like, on the internet. I think that was something that ended up I ended up bringing up I don't remember what else I talked about no, I something mean, else about queer on the internet oh uh, okay well you think I also want to say I think a lot of and I'm coming at this from a point of like transformative fandom culture uh, a term which I can define in greater detail if anyone needs that would be great sure. okay uh, <laughs> oh no this is gonna turn into another tangent oh um, no <laughs> oh. Okay, so I like to think of fandom as this kind of dichotomy between, like, transformative and curative fandom. And so I feel like, maybe not in a space of entirely queer people, but, like, when you say, oh, I'm a fan of something, a lot of times that reads as, like, the stereotypical, oh, I memorized lots of trivia about this thing, like, maybe I collect merch Mm -hmm. of this show. And that's totally a fine way to do fandom. But uh, let it be known that when I talk about my participation in fandom... I'm definitely, like, a transformative fandom person, which takes, like, I feel like there's much more of an aspect of media criticism to it, and along with that, much more of, like, 
and why did canon go this way and not another way? And also, while we're at it, let's explore what it would have been like if canon did go like this other way. Um, and I feel like within that subculture, uh, first of all, because there's like an aspect almost of transforming canon, hence the name, it's very prone to like crazy infighting. Uh, and second, as a part of that, I think that we're seeing like a big trend in these, again, majority queer spaces towards like very closed communities, which on the internet. So like accessing this online community also requires like knowing someone who's already in or signaling your opinions sufficiently like in another more public space so that someone else will invite you in. And like the classic example is of course the discord server. Um, but it's also like, I have like a friend of a friend whose main fandoming happens on Slack, which I think is unhinged. <laughs> but I respect I respect the hustle. <laughs> like unhinged. I really do. <laughs> that's funny. But I definitely feel like that's kind of a response to like what you were talking about, mm -hmm. where everything's so public that it's like viewable to outsiders, to like people who might not get it, get it, TM. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe yeah. maybe you don't want strangers to be like trying to read like your queerness and your weird expressions of it. Yeah. I feel like that's different in a way like on TikTok cuz TikTok has that algorithm that just like pushes it to the people oh, who want to see hate it. TikTok. <laughs> no, there's a lot of flaws to it, but I feel like a lot of queer content doesn't reach like outsiders as much. I mean, a lot of it does. But I feel like there are certain bits of it that only get pushed to queer people because it's just what's on their For You page and then it just, like, the algorithm just feeds into that and keeps sending them more queer-coded things, um, which I think is good in some ways and bad in others because then the outside community doesn't get exposed to the things that would help them normalize the queer community. Yeah. No, I definitely feel like the website formerly known as Twitter is definitely <laughs> the worst about it. Because I feel like it's so easy for, like, that, like, context collapse to happen where your, like, silly little post gets randomly, like, retweeted by the wrong person and now it's stuck in front of a bunch of, like, <laughs> right-wing or, like, yeah, yeah. right-wing people who hate queerness in all forms and you just, like, get dogpiled into oblivion. Mm -hmm. So I definitely understand the urge to, like, move queer community into these closed spaces, especially online, because it is, like... It's not quite the Wild West, but it is, like, there are highly organized hate campaigns out there, and if you're unlucky, they will find you. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about, like, um, queer on the internet is that it used to be, like, a very regional thing. Like, the codes would be different in, like, New York versus Los Angeles. And obviously they still are to some extent, but it used to be very, like, I guess, like, region-specific, and this is, like, referencing my, like research that I did for, like, um, this article. Oh. Yeah, it used to be, like, these codes and also culture used to be very regional-specific, basically, and I feel like it's just kind of, like, globalizing or, like, uh, like normalizing across the country and to some extent the world, but I'm mostly thinking of America because that's where we are and I don't know a lot about other places. Yeah, no. I mean, the same process is happening with, like, dialects, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And language, too. Yeah. Yeah, talk about normalizing. Mm -hmm. um, kind of getting back to the spooky theme. Um, the day after Halloween, I got a call from my mom 
because um, she wanted to tell me that she went to West Hollywood with my dad for Halloween. Okay. Um, and she was just talking about how fun it was. And, um, you know, it was, like, entertaining because people had amazing costumes, you know, gay people with, like, very extravagant costumes. Um, but I thought it was kind of funny that she also said that there were, like, a lot of middle-aged uh, straight couples there, like herself and my dad. Um, and I, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, that, like, I, I'm glad that, like, my parents are hashtag woke, you know, True. Enough, enough to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, West Hollywood in general is just gentrified in many different ways. But, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like, the line between, um, keeping, uh, queer culture and queer communities, uh, like, um, just for queer people? Yeah, just for queer people for, like, safety, but then, like, when does it become gatekeeping, and when is gatekeeping okay? Um, I don't know, it's just, just a lot to think about. See, that actually is a really interesting example to me, like, not the fact that it's your parents in particular. <laughs> I, no offense, I'm not that invested in That's your okay. parents. <laughs> But I feel like it's, that's a really interesting example of, like, one imagines that originally, like, WeHo Carnival was, like, an intra-community performance. Like, it's a participatory event. Like, everyone has a fun costume. And, like, you're going there to be part of a community. And I feel like when you introduce straight couples in, like, whatever proportion... It almost acquires this, like, voyeuristic isn't the right word, but it's like you're going there to look at queer people performing something that isn't necessarily for you mm -hmm. and to, like, look at it like this, spectacle. like, spectacle. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, not... To, I'm, like, straddling the line between being, like, this is, pro this is like, problematic sort of, like, consumptive gaze, and, um, that is crazy, this is, like, the real world and I need to touch grass, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. I feel like, to me, it depends on the intent, like, what, are, what is your yeah. intent when you're going into this space? Is your intent just to have fun? Are you there with queer friends? Um, or are you there just to, like, watch the queer like, people? Like, God. I don't know, I think <laughs> yeah, a lot of people yeah. go into it with, like, pure intent, and that's okay. I definitely don't think it's as bad as, like, straight people at Pride just to see, like, the concerts yeah. who aren't actual I mean, come allies. come on, bro. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably... This seems to be touching a lot on, like, uh, elements of, like, cultural appropriation versus appreciation, like, in the way that it uh, has to do with the way that you... The intent with which you engage with the event or the uh, co content, I guess? I don't know. Um, and also, like, how you make other people fear, feel when you're in, how you make the people who this space is for feel when you're there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah to me it seems kind of like the, the slight nuance and the difference between the two definitions of performance and, like, performing queerness. Um, or, like, when you have straight people there as, like, an outside audience, it's more of, like you said, JQ, like, a performance for an audience, mm -hmm. whereas before it's like, you know, an intra-community performance, but also like more of the performing queerness, um, if 
like somebody wants to define that better. It's been a while since I took intro to LGBT, LGBTQ <laughs> studies. Oh, no, true. I mean, um, like, yeah, like performative queer theory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that one. It, like, that fucking we. I, I, listen, I, like, I took a gender and communication class, le- read about performative queer theory, and it, like, rewired my brain. It was crazy. Which, okay, like, well, for those of us who don't yeah, exactly. take classes. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Um, <laughs> so, like, performative queer theory is basically the idea that, like, so performative theory is basically the idea that, like, your identity is a performance. It's not something that you intrinsically are. It's something that you project out to the world and something that you perform, I guess. Um, kind of like being an actor on a stage, right? Uh, it's like a, it's either a psych or a philosophy theory. I don't know. Sociology. Um, it, oh, socio. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And queer perf- philosophy. Whoa. We're making words. Um, we're inventing. <laughs> Fuck ASU, we're the number one innovation. Uh, <laughs> um, and, like, queer performative theory um, suggests that... Oh, God, what is it? I think, like, um, actively queering, um, like, these performances of gender is, like, kind of, like, a revolutionary act. Let me look up... Let me look it up in more detail, but that's pretty much... Um, and I feel like, in general, performativity implies that we're all like, actors doing our identities as a performance yeah. to, like, for other people um, and to get certain reactions and, like, fulfill certain social norms. Like, there's a famous quote by Irving Goffing, Goff, Goffman that, uh, like, life is a wedding. Yeah. Because in a wedding, like, everyone has a role and everyone is expected to perform a certain way. Um, and that's kind of how real life is. Like, everyone has um, this, like, perceived gender and, like, perceived, like social roles that they're expected to act out yeah very true yeah i think that's important to define because people hear performance and they're like performative you know right um and that gets confusing i mean well even beyond that just (laughs) snooping on what emma's googling um (laughs) there's a judith butler quote question mark um that's like gender exists because of the performance of gender and although i find that really interesting the thing that it immediately makes me think is that like and how is someone going to use this to invalidate me by being like oh you're you're only the gender you are because you perform it that way right and it's like sure maybe but what if i really like performing it this way and performing it a different way would make me sad like i feel like it's a really cool idea, but um, if you're, I feel like it's also kind of easy to weaponize as like, so just agree with biology, heart emoji, and uh, you can perform <laughs> masculinity if you want, I guess. Well, I feel like one of the big like takeaways from that theory is though is though it's not necessarily bad to be performing something, but it's who is your audience. You should kind of cater it more toward your audience being yourself in that aspect. That would be the argument, like. I'm performing this for myself. I'm performing this because it makes me feel fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I've uh, thought a lot about um, in my own uh, gender performance. Um, in this, oh, I didn't, I'm not finding it. I'm literally searching queer in every single one of my notes from this class and I can't fucking find it, um, which I'm mad about because it, I, I, when I, when I tell you that it, radically changed the way that I think about gender and my gender specifically, I was like, whoa, it was wild. Um, anyways, um, like, I don't know, the, uh, for me, it kind of, 
ended with me uh, being able to think more meaningfully about the way that my outward performance of gender impacts how, like, my internal sense, like, like, trying to, to do, uh, not better, because it's not, like, you know, the only part of my gender that exists, uh, but, like, uh, trying, trying more to align my internal gender feelings with, like, what's happening on the outside, and, like, being able to, like, think about that and, like, look inward so that I can more accurately represent myself, I guess. Yeah, no. I mean, that definitely makes sense. And I feel like, at least with my own experience, like, performing a gender, um, I feel like it's very, it was very much easier for me to go forward than, like, it is for me now to, like, go back. Because I still, like, am low-key expected to wear women's formal clothing to, like, like actually weddings and stuff are yeah. the premier example. And I feel like it's so much harder to wear a dress now that I'm, like, used to presenting myself this way, in a way where, like, even if I was kind of uncomfortable in a dress, I was, like, disconnected enough from what I wanted to be like that it didn't really reach me. Where now I'm, like, I know what it feels like to feel good looking in the mirror, and I don't want to go back. Yeah, very much so. So I guess you could say when you first start presenting your gender in the way you want to, you may not feel like it inside, but then it feels like a costume. But then at the same time, once you're in that place where you feel content with your gender, going back feels like a costume. Yeah. Feels oh my inauthentic. God. Yeah. No, I literally, I was at, a, like at that wedding I was at where I had to wear a dress, like, and I'm, this is like problematic for me to draw on, but it definitely felt like, like man in a dress. I was like, surely everyone can look at me and see that this is wrong. Yeah. And obviously that's like, men can wear dresses and stuff that's not right but like it felt like such a clash with my performance of gender that it felt like visibly like I must be giving off waves that are like doing it wrong yeah. TM. It feels so weird for you that you think that other people must think like immediately be able to point out that yeah. it's wrong because it's like the performance the external performance of your gender is also like connected with your internal feelings about yeah. it. Yeah. Anyways, I found the definition of queer performative theory. It integrates uh, both performative theory, which is the idea that humans generate their identities through expression and performance, and that the performance of the identity is what we call gender. Um, it's not a thing, you know, so like a note that I have is that gender is not a thing that we have, but a thing that we do at certain times and situations. Um, and queer, uh, queer theory, which is a critique of conventional categories of identity and culture that are deemed normal and abnormal, particularly in relation to sexuality. Uh, so queer, both in the meaning of LGBTQ plus and, like, weird. Um, you know, like, the way that it uh, was used, well, as a slur, but also, uh, you know, just before that when it was kind of, like, neutral language. Um, so queer performative theory integrates both of those, and it suggests that queer performances as a means... Uh, are a means of challenging cultural categories and values. So it stresses that, like, routine queer performances are particularly important for, like, challenging these cultural norms, like, just dressing like that on a day-to-day -day and not making, like, not even necessarily, like, pointing it out, just doing it and doing it regularly. Just people seeing that in and of itself can, like, you know, challenge things. Yeah. 
So is that kind of like a, I don't know if chicken and the egg is the right way to say it, (laughs) but like, is it that your performance creates your internal gender or that your internal gender dictates your performance? I think it argues that there is no, I don't know. Um, That's a good question. I think it kind of, I think it goes back to uh, gender being socially constructed. So it, in some ways, it kind of argues that identities don't exist and they never are completely, in, like, there's no such thing as, like, a completely internal identity because it's so influenced by the culture that you grew up in and the things that you learned about what that identity is supposed to mean that it kind of doesn't even really exist and it's just, like, an amalgamation of all this stuff that you've learned about what it's supposed to look like externally, I guess. Which, like, again, that's one of those things that seems like it could be probably, like, invalidating because... Yeah, wait, I had somewhere I was going with that, but then it, like, flew out of my brain. Um, I stared too hard at the water damage on the ceiling, and then everything <laughs> left my brain. <laughs> yeah, anyways, so anyone else can speak on You sounded like you were about to say something. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like there can't be no sense of internal gender, because yeah. I feel like there's so much cultural pressure to just, like, present as the gender you were assigned at birth, and I feel like if just continuing to present as the gender you were assigned at birth could make you that gender, um, then A, the world would be a less interesting place, (laughs) and B, probably um, this couch would look somewhat different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's what I was going to say, is I I don't think I fully agree with that. I think that, like, like, I don't know, I think that, like, subconscious, like, idea, like, even if, even if your idea of gender is influenced by, like, subconsciously by the culture that you grow up in. There's still, like, this, like, especially for trans people, I feel like there's this very meaningful experience with your internal sense of gender and how it cla- how it may sometimes clash with the external parts of it. So I don't know if I completely agree with that one, but, you know. And I also might be vastly oversimplifying that theory and performative theory in particular because it's been a minute since I've studied it so apologies if that's the case if you're a if you're a sociology major and you're watching this and you're like you fucking suck as a sociology major I feel like that was a good that was a good summary okay good very cool (laughs) I avoid things that have the word theory in the title generally yeah just on, on a principle it just never seems to come up that much in my classes. Oh my god, I love this question. What was everyone for Halloween? We can save that for the end, or we can do that, but, you know, I think it's a, that's a good question. I think we can talk about what makes Halloween camp, though. Because um, I feel like it really does... Uh, but I feel like Halloween is definitely a space where gender transgression is if not encouraged certainly significantly more permissible than on other nights of the year um i have something here that's like halloween costumes let people sort of cross-dress as a like as a joke like as a a silly silly joke isn't it so funny that this man is wearing a skirt or whatever but um the fact that it's permissible as a joke on Halloween also means that there's, like, the aforementioned plausible deniability if this is, like, the only, one of the only opportunities you have to dress 
like, in a way that doesn't align with your assigned gender at birth without being, like, hate crime for it immediately. Because you can go, <laughs> no, haha, it's a joke. <laughs> It's a silly, silly joke. It's a silly, silly joke. Anyways, read the hauntology print if slash, you want more of that theme. It's like slash J slash SRS slash J slash SRS. There's so many layers of uh, Reddit tone indicators. <laughs> I feel like oh, I judge like people who aren't camp on Halloween. Like this is this is your this is your moment. <laughs> this is your fucking time. If you're not like a drag performer or like in theater, what other time do you have to be this fucking extravagant? Like so true. I, I really judge people who just put on like a pair of ears. I don't know. <laughs> What are you doing? Unless they're like elf ears, because those fuck TBH. Like, f- yeah, but like you can wear. Oh, oh, for sure. Wear elf ears all the time. No, yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, true. You could get uh, you could get body mods so that you have elf ears all the time. Okay, I meant just like <laughs> you, can, you can do that too if you want. <laughs> Your body. Your elf ears. <laughs> Your elf ears. They're yours. Yeah, and I feel like. I, as we get older, and or at least I noticed when I entered college that mm-hmm. there's a push in Halloween to like make it less camp because like being Ooh. more camp is like uncool. <laughs> right. So I, I have like friends that'll go out in cat ears and a t-shirt. Um, See, and I'm like, that's that's that really sucks. Can I get on my high horse really quick? Yes, <laughs> sure. Okay, great. Step up there. Yep. You. <laughs> no. I just feel like there's like. I feel like cringe culture has killed earnestness, and it makes me so upset. Oh, yeah. And it's like, (laughs) earnestness is so important to me in particular, and presumably also other people, but I notice my own experiences a lot. Um, (laughs) As people often do, yes. (laughs) As one often does. And I feel like it just makes me so sad to, like, worry that really earnestly caring about something is just, like, opening me up to, like... Attack. Yeah. But it like, is a vulnerable position to be in. So earnest people are very brave. Yeah, but also I, I don't think it should require bravery to, like, like stuff unironically. Yeah. Like, I don't think putting lots of effort into your Halloween costume should be, like, something to make fun of people for because they care a lot about something that is objectively kind of superfluous or silly. Like, I think it's very important to care about things that are superfluous or silly. Like, Falling Angel meets Rising Ape, you know? <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I don't know what what kind of, like, events and parties you went to this year, but I feel like at most of the ones I went to, it was more of a, oh, it's really cool that you put in this much effort. Like, people were generally complimenting it, but then, like, they wouldn't do it themselves. But they were generally not, like, super judgy of people who did put in a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like even at, like, frats or, like, more traditionally straight spaces, people were okay. Yeah. No, I feel like it's one. I feel like it's one you hit the terrible area where you tried really hard, but you're not very good. Oh. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, that is not a fun area to be in. Huh? If you're like immensely skilled or like very good at your costume, then people are going to respect it. But if you just sort of tried hard and it's obvious that you tried hard, but not that it's like, not that you're like a professional. Like I feel the, like you just get fucked. Like the people who go as their D and D characters, I yeah. feel like that. I feel so bad because there's so much effort and like no one's gonna know yeah. what that is. So um, real. You just look like a 
elf cowboy or something. But I love oh, you, yeah. D&D. d and is like the number one gender exploration platform. Oh my god. It's like, okay, so like hierarchy, yeah. using different pronouns online just to try them out. D&D <laughs> character, that definitely isn't you. Halloween costume. No, there's, I've heard this from so many like queer and trans people that they like, like played queer and trans characters long before they came out. I fucking love that. Um, and like the closet was fucking glass and like <laughs> I know to <laughs> everyone else, but then they were just like, oh, it's just my character. That's just how my character would act. No, I know <laughs> in one group I'm in, this this guy played a non-binary character for like so many years that like I think one of us like reached mm-hmm. out and was like. Hey, because uh, I think they were also trans. They reached out and were like, "Hey, like, do you have anything to tell us?" <laughs> <laughs> we know we know this person for like they've known the person for years, and um, and he was like, "No, I did some soul searching, but I decided I'm still a cis man." Right, and I was enough. like, "Okay," but I feel like that calls into question like, there's that. Uh, I think I wrote something about it about like um. Do it uh, like an artifice gender, like um, performing a gender like once or twice just for fun, um, but then it starts to kind of become an identity when you do it repeatedly. That kind of idea. Um, that's the Judith Butler. Judith Butler mentions this that like uh, that like identity comes from repetitive action. So like the more you perform an identity, the more it becomes like your identity versus just like trying it on. Which I think is interesting, um, and I think sometimes D and D can be that, and sometimes it can be like your repressed, your repressed identities coming forward in the form of a fictional character. Yeah. Yeah. D uh, is I, fun. I'm I'm gonna second that one. I feel <laughs> for like gender. And I would say just role playing games, but I feel like video games have kind of, kind of poisoned that term. Because um, until now, I have to specify tabletop role playing games because those are the ones where you're like actually role-playing um not to be a hater i'm a hater about many things as as you have noticed if there's any place to be a hater it is a podcast yeah so real i'm curious your opinions of like the role-play community online like on discord and like a little bit on wattpad and like occasionally rancid but overall i support them okay i mean that's like many things though yeah. I feel like yeah, everything's occasionally rancid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely have friends who are in the roleplay community and like they're cool. I'm friends with them. True. It's the kind of thing where like I feel like the barrier to entry, like I yes. if I wanted to, I wouldn't know where to start. There's a barrier to entry. I've been in that community since I was like twelve. If so, we're nice-ish to newcomers, but if they're really bad, I, I'll be honest, if someone's really bad and they're new, I just, I, I won't, I won't do stuff with them. Like, I mean, yeah, but presumably if someone were really bad and they were not new, you also wouldn't do stuff with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, that's and that's weird. another so thing. Bad. Lot, um, that's another thing where there's, like, a lot of, there's a lot of queer people, there's also a lot of exclusivity, like, there's a lot of exclusive groups, like, yeah. where you have to, like, know someone, or you have to do, like, an application, Okay, application is wild. No, I used to run one of well, those, and I would reject people. I guess it makes more sense, because <laughs> I feel like roleplay is more, like, skills-based than, like, a fanish community, because a fanish community, like, being really enthusiastic is also a meaningful contribution to the community, because it, like, it makes other people feel good and, like, helps them keep creating stuff, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see where, like, roleplay, you're, you have to be, you're expected to create in a participatory environment. Yeah, and yeah, you're supposed to create create well and kind of, because there's no rules, I feel like that's what makes it really appealing for a lot of queer people, because then 
you can just like do whatever you want. You can yeah. make a character that performs in any way. What was your best uh, Halloween costume? Actually, Ray from Star Wars. Slay. I kind of I kind of slayed. I'm not I, gonna lie. I, dressed, I still have a picture of it. I dressed as the Statue of Liberty. Oh hell yeah! Is, I had like a torch that was a flashlight with like um, tissue paper on it yeah, to make it yeah, look yeah. like it was a fire. And then I had like a craft foam headdress. It's great. Do you have a picture? Uh, no. Boo. This year I was Mojo Dojo Casa Ken, but oh, I'd nice. say my, that was a good one. one of my best costumes, this wasn't for Halloween, it was for summer camp though, was a pinata. Uh, and everyone beat you with sticks? I did let people beat me with sticks and I threw candy at them. That's oh. really good. Uh, That's good. I got That's like this box and like painted it rainbow with a bunch of tissue paper and things. Um, and then I was a pinata. It was it was great. I was Ziggy okay. Stardust once. That was that nice. was kind of mid. The the idea no, was I great. Like, yeah. The execution was mid. Well, we can't all be David Bowie though. I know. Like <laughs> you you aimed really high and that's what matters. Oh, okay, true. How about you? Um last year I was Poison Ivy, but the version oh from the gay TV, the gay cartoon. Oh, hey. true. Really I painted myself green. I was Harley oh Quinn last no year. Way. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my god. I didn't I wasn't I'm still never seeing anyone, so I just went alone without a Harley Quinn. But I was thinking, I was like, oh, if I had a girlfriend, that'd be so nice. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. One, one of my roommates also went as Poison Ivy, I think, either last year or two years ago, and she slayed. It was good. She, like, dyed her hair red, and she had, like, leaves and stuff, and I was like, fuck yeah, need tea. That's no, my know. roommate didn't get it. have, like, a good couple's costume. Um, straight, unfortunately, but still, I think, honorary mention. Uh, he was, uh, Linguini from Ratatouille, and she was Remy from Ratatouille. <laughs> That's so good! <laughs> really good. That is pretty funny. And then, other than that, I had a friend who was Minecraft, Steve, and that was awesome. Let's go. Yeah. People, he, like, was, would, like, walk around campus in it, because he wore it to, like, a club meeting. Nice. And, like, people would be like, yo, Steve! Minecraft Steve! He took selfies with, like, three different people. That's yeah. Minecraft Steve. Incredible. I might have seen that guy. Because I <laughs> saw somebody dressed as Minecraft Steve. Was it wearing, like, gold armor? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, totally that's so it. funny. <laughs> no way. Really so funny. if you saw Minecraft Steve wearing gold armor at Halloween, <laughs> yeah. that was my friend. That's great. My friend Minecraft Steve. <laughs> yeah. Best friend. Best friend. I would like to address Emily's note that says, I want to dress like a 1950s math professor, but will I? I would love to know what a 1950s math professor style oh. is. Oh, no, no. Like, that you sounds know. fucking great. Okay, Emily All I'm thinking of is Oppenheimer, bro. Is what? It like, is it like okay. short sleeve shirts with ties? Like, no, what is like that? Tweed, surely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well. That's like present day math professor. Yeah, okay. not, not yeah. present day, for sure. Wait. Well, present day math professor is like. Are you, My professor wears a wrinkled t-shirt. Are you pro-bow tie or anti-bow tie? I'm anti-bow tie. Wow. For myself. Like, bow tie oh my is god. Fine for other Sorry. People. I bet you could rock a bow I just remembered that I dressed as Doctor Who one year. Which one? And I completely <laughs> forgot about Wait, the uh, which Matt one? Smith one. Uh, with the okay. bow tie. Oh no, oh. with the bow tie. <laughs> Not sorry. My favorite doctor. That just awakened something deep in my brain. I, I forgot that I did that. I'm so sorry for interrupting. <laughs> um, yeah, like I feel like it's kind of problematic inspiration but um i watched the imitation game recently the other inspiration was was in fact oppenheimer which definitely did include some war yeah. crimes okay so, yeah. <laughs> that's like the oppenheimer war is like war crime <laughs> war, crime war crime central yeah of all war crimes yeah no but yeah. 
Fun he fact, was... we didn't need to do that. <laughs> no way! It's just like the... It's not really the broader context. It's not the it's not the war crimes that interests me. It's the it's Well, I'm the, glad to hear it. <laughs> it's the, the specific era fashion in yeah. front of a chalkboard. Like um, that's yeah. what I like. You're you're kind of based for that no, one. No, 50s fashion is really It's really interesting as a reaction against um and I I'm mostly familiar with women's fashion against like wartime conformism and uh, fabric rationing. Um, certainly, like, the new look is, like, oh, my God, such a vibe. Dude, I love 50s women's fashion. That's, like, the... Can I just say, Oppenheimer's gay little hat? Yeah, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Are you gonna get a gay little hat? 1950s. Are you gonna get a gay little hat? I, maybe. I was thinking more of the, like, vesty, like, sweater vest. Oh, oh dude. Yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, no, okay. my God. I, like I went like... to a thrift store and they had so much formal wear. They had those little formal wear vests. Like, when you wear a three-piece suit, they like, you have, like, a vest. Yeah. Like, 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 no, a no. Little, like, a gangster to, from, like, You're going to see my waistcoat as a costume party. <laughs> oh, my God, you stop. I'll die. Yeah, dude, of course. This is great. Have you met me? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going, um, I'm, I need some people oh, to dress so up as Calico Jack and Mary Reed with me, because I'm going as the pirate Anne Bonny. So I need I need some other. I might do Gideon people. the Ninth. So that's not oh, related that's at all. No, to anything. no, but Gideon the Ninth is gay, and that would be is a costume. gay. Okay, I do see what you mean with nineteen fifties women's no, fashion, like slayed. the whole like petticoat thing, Dude, like lo- poodle I'm, skirts, very yeah. cute. I love I the love new it. look. Yeah. <laughs> Number one new look enjoyer. <laughs> Number one new look. This is a new look. <laughs> it was called the new look. Oh, it was I new was at not the time. Okay, true, true, true. Gotcha. <laughs> that's great. Sometimes I, I forget we're on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what were you saying? Oh. I love all the, the fashion in Mrs. Maisel, like all the 1950s oh, fashion. Yeah, super cute. And yeah, it kind of showcases 1950s butch fashion with uh, like Susie and some of the other more gender See, Wait, this is related because I yeah. have in my notes that I think queer people are overrepresented in the historical fashion community. So like, we oh, tied yeah, it back in. As in... Um, fashion historians no like dressing consciously in the way that people in the past dressed Hmm. oh i see there's this guy i follow on several social media platforms whose name is vince adams who is a trans 18th century men's fashion historian but also he just sort of wears it in his day-to-day life and i'm like you're the coolest fucking person in the world like, I don't want to be you when I grow up, because I feel like I would not like to dress like that, but oh my god! I can't find him. <laughs> I'm just kidding, this guy with his oh, fish. Well. Oh god. <laughs> but no, I feel like in a way, dressing like the people of the past is a way for queer people to recra- reclaim just, history. Um, and especially, yeah. like, reclaim periods that wouldn't have treated them well. Right, right. And that they can't look back on as fondly as people um, who would have, like, done okay in those time periods. Yeah, that's true. Damn. Oh shit! I think yeah, I, her, I think on like Tumblr, he's Vince Adams. Yeah, he's, he's so very cool. much so. Look like that. what the fuck? This is that's wild. Oh. Great, I love a good pair of breeches. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that part. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. That makes me want some now. Breeches? Huh. Yeah, I don't True. know. Based. Like the satin ones from uh, our flat bean's death. <laughs> <laughs> you two can be uh, overthrown by the sonky lot. Yeah. But in style. In style. Fancy. 
One more thing about um, fashion and being out, like, what you said about um, people dressing gay, gay, but (laughs) historical gay. Like, I feel like that just kind of speaks to, like, if you're already outside of the norm of fashion, like... Well, if I feel like being queer provide may for some people provide like some unique experiences because you're already outside of the norm and the mainstream just because like your gender's a little wonky or like uh <laughs> you know you don't like you aren't as rigidly uh in this box of like you are girl so you have to look like girl um or you know vice versa. Um and so that kind of like provides like a unique opportunity to have like greater creativity and like expression and like stuff like that. And I feel like something, you know, something that was mentioned, like avant-garde, yeah, avant-garde fashion, like, you know, being able to like take that into like a literal creative setting. I feel like you might have an advantage question mark. I don't know. Kind of based. Kind of based. Where people are creative and they know what's happening. Gender a little wonky should be an option on, like, all those forms. Should be. <laughs> I would check that every single fucking time. Yeah. That part. And with that, nice. I have been JQ. I've been Emma. I've been Ava. I've been Emily. And remember, cringe culture is dead. So dead. I killed it. JQ Bye. killed it. Bye. Bye. Bye.